While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From an that pretty gal to Georgia. I recently started a project that ended up being a Christmas gift for my entire family. I spent some time researching my family's ancestry. Because of that, I spent a lot of time on a website called newspapers.com. After I found some of the information I was looking for, and I was looking for birth announcements and wedding announcements, I took some time to look up some historical information, and I'm going to share that with you today. So we're going to look today at contemporary reports of the Civil War in Georgia. This is the war as it unfolded and as it was reported in the newspaper. This is Moving Through Georgia, Season 2, Episode 6, The War in Print. We will start with reports of the war's beginning. This newspaper is the Southern Confederacy, April 16, 1861. Page 1. The War. Highly important intelligence from our extra of Sunday night. Pennsylvania, New York, and Ohio on the war scent. Lincoln to issue proclamation. This is just one headline after another. Civil war to be inaugurated. 75,000 militia to be called into service. Captured forts to be repossessed. Major Anderson and men gone north. War fleet still off Charleston. The first thing you see when you look at these papers is that many of these stories don't just have headlines, they have multiple headlines. They will tell you the big picture and then narrow it down and then the story after that. Say what you want about people who only read the headlines. In 1861, you could get more information by just reading the headlines than you do now. This is an Atlanta newspaper called the Gate City Guardian, February 21st, 1861. The headline is Letter from a Soldier in Fort Sumter. Now, I am assuming this is a Union soldier who is inside of Fort Sumter. This letter was supposedly written on February 7th. It's being printed on February 21st. Fort Sumter wouldn't be attacked by the Confederates until April, so this is the run-up to the war. And here is the letter. Fort Sumter, February 7th, 1860. We expect to be attacked every day. They have not quite finished their batteries. They are building one about 1,400 yards from our fort in imitation of the iron ships built now in Europe so that we shall have a piece of hard work to destroy it. I expect we shall have an attack before my letter reaches you. It didn't. We all think we shall be able to stand it for about 10 days. They cannot take the fort by assault unless they wish to sacrifice from 3 to 4,000 lives. It is impossible they should enter the fort and they cannot come near enough to make a breach. They know it very well and their plan is to bombard us until they kill us one after another or until we are starved to death. that's exactly what happened. The bombardment started on April 12th and the fort was handed over to the Confederates on April 13th. No one was killed during the bombardment. However, the Union garrison did require a salute to the flag be fired off before they leave the fort. During that salute, a wandering spark blew up some ammunition which wounded two soldiers. They were technically the first casualties of the Civil War. 
And on that day, April 13, 1861, in the Southern Confederacy newspaper in Atlanta, Georgia, there ran an ad for a company called W.F. Herring & Company. It reads, For this spring's trade, it is the largest, choicest, and cheapest stock we have ever brought to Atlanta. We would also like to call the attention of military men to our stock of trimmings and accoutrements, swords, epaulets, and sashes for generals. If you were a newly minted general in the Confederate Army, you could go there for your swords and epaulets. Colonels and their aides, majors, captains, lieutenants, and sergeants. Knapsacks furnished at short notice at very low prices. There was money to be made. A lot of people in the South didn't think this war was going to last long, so they wanted to sell their swords, epaulets, and sashes while they still could. Little did they know that supplying military uniforms could become a long-term business. Okay, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to skip to May 22nd, 1864. This is an Atlanta paper called the Southern Courier. The headline is The Front. This is a daily update on the status of the war. Our army is in line of battle at Altoona and in a very advantageous position. The splendid veterans who compose it maintain the same unfaltering front and seem as confident in spirit as ever. The gallant bearing of the army, if it could be witnessed by the, quote, weak-kneed brigade in this vicinity, would mantle their cheeks with the blush of shame at their own ludicrous terror of imagining evils. That is some pretty flowery language, kind of blurring the line between creative writing and journalism. Describing a battle accurately can be very difficult because there's so much going on. To make a long story short, we had talked about the city of Cassville, which supposedly was burned at the time that Sherman moved into Atlanta. When this story was written, General Johnston, who was the Confederate general, had moved his army from Cassville to Altoona. This is technically a retreat, but Johnston intended to move his forces in front of the moving Union forces. This strategy is mentioned in the article, and I love the word they use for retreat. Thus far, the retrograde, which every sensible man and woman must know was rendered important by complicating circumstances, has been conducted with admirable skill and a commendable foresight for which the commander-in-chief should deserve the gratitude of the nation. Where General Johnston may make a battle, it would be egregious folly even to attempt a conjecture. He will fight when it suits him best, at the best advantage, and will win it beyond a doubt, or will not attempt it. They go on to say that Atlanta is secure against a whipped and demoralized mob of Yankees. That was in May. The Battle of Atlanta would take place later on in July. And in September, things started to look a little more grim than they had in May. Large numbers of civilians were leaving the city, and they were looking for food and shelter in the nearby areas. The headline of this story is Exiles. We are painfully aware that the citizens of Atlanta who were able to refugee when the enemy approached the city had left their home and sought shelter further south and were cold-shouldered by the more favored citizens of their own state. 
The paper claims that they were charged extortionate rates for the necessities of life and that they come as exiles forced from their homes by the tyrant who had almost ruined those homes ere the inmates were expelled. It says they can't pay extortionate rent and they cannot live outdoors. This was September and winter was coming. And they urged the people to engage in housing and feeding the exiled wives and little ones of those who are in the field standing between us and danger. Now we started the war with a long list of headlines and we will end the war with a long list of headlines. Now, I will say this is not a Georgia newspaper. This is the Richmond Whig from Richmond, Virginia. April 10th, 1865. Another great battle fought. Victory for General Sheridan. Defeat of General Lee's army. Many rebel generals prisoners. Thousands of prisoners taken. And underneath they have a press release from the War Department in Washington signed by Edwin Stanton. General Sheridan attacked and routed Lee's army yesterday, capturing Generals Ewell, Kershaw, Button, Course, and many general officers, several thousand prisoners, and a large number of cannon, and expects to force Lee to surrender all that is left of his army. By the time those words were printed in Richmond, Lee and Grant had already met at Appomattox Courthouse, and Lee had already surrendered. The war was over. There is some really interesting stuff in these old newspapers, and I think I'm going to do an extra episode with some of the lighter side, some of the funnier things I've found in these papers. First, I want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast, mostly focusing on Northeast Georgia. I hope you like what you hear, and if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you're welcome to send them to me at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. Let's go back and read just a few more items. I'm going to read you the whole thing because we're going to learn a new word today, and that word is phylokinidity. A Mr. William Kidd is giving lectures in London for the benefit of the homeless and starving dogs. Good for him. That is more sensible than if he were lecturing on the horrors of American slavery. This phylokinidity is a sort of sublimation of the mongrel philanthropy which makes Englishmen abolitionists. Okay, so I'm guessing the writer of this article had had enough hearing about abolitionists giving lectures in London. And although I couldn't find anything specifically on William Kidd, it's possible that he was well known for giving such lectures, and this writer was happy he was finally changing the subject. And the writer, of course, addresses this speaker's phylokinidity. Philo is a prefix that means denoting a liking for, so I'm assuming that he is showing his affinity for dogs. However, this is kind of a unique experience in 2022. If you do a Google search for the word phylokinidity, you get nothing. It's not that often you do a Google search and get absolutely nothing. Okay, this is our last item. Newspapers would occasionally have short proverbs or pieces of wisdom to help educate the readers. There's another vocabulary word in here, and that word is shin plaster. Now, a shin plaster is a worthless piece of paper currency. Soldiers in the Revolution used to put pieces of paper inside their boots to cut down on chafing. That's what they're referring to when they talk about a shin plaster being a useless piece of paper currency. 
This was published in April of 1864 in the Southern Confederacy newspaper. And the fact that a lot of people had worthless paper currency in their possession was becoming a real problem. Here's the proverb. Never give a boy a shin plaster to hold your shadow whilst you climb a tree to look into the middle of next week. It is money thrown away. Wow. Uh, thanks for that. We appreciate it. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all. <laughs>